You're listening to Juicy Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Bacigalupo, and in this episode, I'll be talking with Giovanni Pallavicini of Fronteras. He's a consultant who helps people figure out how to approach the process of getting a space, setting it up, uh, what kind of size and shape and location and direction you would want to go when you're just getting started on uh, getting a space open. And so he has got some amazing perspectives on how to approach it uh, from the beginning when you maybe think you know how to do it, but you don't know, and he can help you get on the right track. So we'll get a little preview of how his brain works and how he approaches things in this conversation. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Giovanni Pallavicini on this Juicy Podcast episode 29. Giovanni, thanks so much for taking the time to meet with me. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. So start me from scratch. What do you do? Who do you help? How do you help them? How do you kind of explain this in in layman's terms to somebody that you're meeting for the first time? Absolutely. So at the end of the day, I'm a real estate strategist. And so what I do is I've spent 17 years in my career. First 10 10 years was on the retail side. The last seven plus have been on the flexible workspace side. And so ultimately, the way I look at the flexible workspace industry is it's a, it's a retailer that happens to go in an office environment. And so ultimately, the real estate strategy breaks down, uh, first and foremost, who uh, your target is. I mean, so what is your brand? What are you trying to achieve? Um, and then that further dictates the demographic uh, age, uh, salary range, home size, education level, and then further dives into the, the profession and uh, what exactly it is you're trying to achieve. So basically the entire real estate strategy is meshed around the brand and, and those demographics. And then based off of that, we create a mapping strategy um, that covers the competition as well as, as those demographics you're trying to create. And then ultimately allows for us to, to dictate what areas we want to be in. Um, part of that too is obviously what, what kind of building do you want? I mean, are you, are you targeting more of a uh, urban type of warehouse type feel? Are you looking to go into high rise, mid rise? Uh, does competition as far as or co-tenancy matter? Uh, you know, are you looking to be with Whole Foods or Nordstrom's or a lot of the retail co-tenancy comes into play as well uh, because they're part of the amenity base. So it can be a, a pretty uh, complex thing to put together for a company depending on their size and, and what it is that they're up to. It, it seems like things have gotten a lot more complex in the recent years when it comes to this sort of thing. Is that right? Yeah, no, absolutely. As, as, as you well know, I spent some time with Regis and for a long time Regis was uh, was the only game in town. So there there doesn't really need to be a strategy around that. And now we're at a point where there is so many operators popping up that that strategy comes a lot into play. Are you out positioning your strategy? Are you offering a different product type? Or do you have more amenities? So, so many of those complexities that are now occurring is, is simply due to competition and the growth of the industry. And certainly there's been a learning curve that has allowed for 
not only the consumer to understand the flexible workspace industry, but also for landlords and the private equity and the capital side to understand it as well. But I mean, one of the biggest hurdles, honestly, that I've got to overcome as I start working with clients is a lot of them don't understand their brand. A lot of them don't understand their demographic. Uh, you ask them, who are you trying to go after? And they say, someone that needs office space. Well, what's that person look like? I mean, are they looking for a hard wall private office? Are they looking for an open collaborative environment? What, where exactly is it that, uh, that your, you, your particular brand falls into play amongst all your other competition? And you run into some language issues here too, because you might have someone coming in saying they want one thing, but then upon further analysis, you determine that, their impression of that one thing is actually better defined as something else. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can start with the simple word co-working. There is such a vast array of what people believe co-working to be. Some people think it's a big open space that, you know, is just collaboration and, and just group working and, and understanding and synergy there. And then you talk to someone else and they consider an executive suite to be co-working. And so it's simply, I'm, that's a lot of times where I start is what do you consider co-working? What do you consider flexible workspace and going from there? Because we've, everyone's read a different article. Everyone comes from a different background. So sometimes getting on the same page and having the same foundation of, okay, the conversation we're having is based off of the same definitions is really where sometimes the, the most difficult, complex part of the story starts. So you're reminding me of uh, in college, the philosophy books I was reading around like, uh, like Socrates and stuff where they'd spend, I feel like they'd spend 80% of the dialogue just trying to define terms before actually talking about the thing, if they ever got around to it at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're 100% right on that is I think so many times people jump into the conversation without defining what exactly definitions are. That's why you look at a real estate lease and the first several pages are defining what each word means so that as you read the rest of the document, you understand and, and you know that you're on the same page. So I, I imagine it, I feel like this happens fairly frequently with consulting where somebody might come to you saying, uh, you know, I want uh, 30,000 square feet of co-working, you know, open space and a downtown, whatever. And they, you know, might think that they have a very specific thing. And then you say, okay, well, tell me about what your business is about and what the goals are for the next six months and next six years, whatever it is. You know, like you, you have to kind of take a big step back to understand what they're actually trying to do. And then they might end up wanting something totally different from what they came to you thinking that they wanted. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, the hardest part with that a lot of times is we're working with entrepreneurs that the reason they are successful is because they're visionaries that see uh, different opportunities. And so ultimately the real estate strategy that I create is essentially making sure that we're all aligned as a team on what exactly it is we're looking for, why we're looking for it. And then we create the, the strategy and the implementation plan to go after that because ultimately we are currently in a cycle right now within the flexible workspace industry where there's a lot of shiny objects popping up. 
There's a lot of landlords calling operators with opportunity. There's a lot of, you know, and the opposite, a lot of operators calling landlords and it's going, okay, this is what we're trying to achieve. And this is why we're trying to achieve it. If something pops up, that's not part of that implementation plan within the real estate strategy, then let's sit down collectively and sit down why we're willing to shift and change that. Uh, great example is I always tie everything back to retail or that's, that's where the world that I come from. But McDonald's doesn't find a great site where they think they can sell chicken and starts trying to sell chicken instead of selling hamburgers. And so ultimately that's, that's a lot of what I see occurring is there's a lot of noise right now in the business. And so it causes operators, landlords, private equity groups, and other sources that are focused on this to get confused. And so the real estate strategy essentially creates guardrails. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like I imagine that could help save a tremendous amount of money and time down the line, uh, you know, helping to avoid bad decisions being made early on that don't match the need. Um, do, you, do you ever have to resuscitate somebody where they, they, they have a portfolio that doesn't match and they have to kind of figure out what to do? Uh, more times than I care to admit. <laughs> because ultimately what ends up happening, and I just, I've met with a group here recently that came to me trying to understand what their brand was, who they're going after, and what ultimately they were trying to achieve with their brand. And so I started off with, okay, let's figure that side out first. Halfway through our conversation, come to find out they've already signed a, a lease of <laughs> real estate. And I'm going, you don't even know who you're targeting and whether you're in the right location. But they said, but the space is beautiful. And that's just it is you can have an amazing product. You can have an amazing business plan. But if your location is wrong, it doesn't matter how amazing that plan is. So that is the, the real estate component is a huge part of, of success of a business is you know, it has to be, again, it goes back to what I consider to be retail foundations and not office foundations. So visibility, your access, uh, amenities such as parking, um, you know, other amenities, does it have dry cleaners nearby, coffee shops, so many other things that come into play that are important to a retailer that typically to your typical office tenant, it's not. I mean, a law firm is looking for great space that lays out well and their people are going to go there regardless because they're employed by the law firm and the flexible workspace industry people have to choose to go to you rather than your other five competitors or whatever amount of competition you have in the surrounding area and so you have to make sure to dot your i's and cross your t's or else someone else is going to come in and out position you or people may not even know you're there if you don't have the right location. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think differentiation and frankly just creating a, a compelling value proposition is a major topic in this world right now where even spaces that, that do a pretty good job are looking for ways to stand out, looking for ways to access those large portions of the market that aren't participating. So how do you set clients up to be able to access those, those markets when, when you're kind of at those earliest stages? Yeah, no, again, at the end of the day, it starts with understanding who you're targeting and staying true and honoring that. And this is kind of where 
and we, we, we're using this word a lot in this industry currently, which is hospitality. And there's such a com great comparison between the hospitality industry and what we do, because essentially we are the hospitality industry. But uh, I'll give you a great example is there's people that are still going to motels and extended stays and not the Ritz Carlton. And in between that, you've got, you know, budget hotels and you've got boutique hotels and full service hotels, but there's a need and a demand for each of those. And so that question comes up a lot with people is going, so is the executive suite, the traditional executive suite model going to die? No, the, the motel six didn't die when the West end came up. There's still people that want to go into an executive suite and go to their office and close the door. And then there's people that want to go work in a open collaborative full co-working type position and sit at a table with people of like-minded interest and who they can learn from and collaborate with and do things with. And then there's stuff everywhere in between. And so that's a big part of understanding is there's room for everybody, but you have to understand who your niche is. Who are you going after? Are you going after the high-end professional that wants a higher-end product because they're bringing in higher-end clients that expect something? Or are you creating an environment which is aimed at a more millennial type of crowd that wants to work in that open environment and wants the ping pong table and wants the beer tab and those things? And then there's groups in between. And so who are you targeting? And there's nothing wrong with either one of those niches or anything in between. But the question is, again, you have to honor your brand. A high net worth attorney who has clients coming in probably doesn't want to be in the same space as an IT company that has kids playing foosball or a ping pong table or anything else. And so it's understanding who you're targeting and why you're targeting them and then staying true to that. I think one of the biggest things I learned at Juicy early on as I started going to these conferences was understanding that these flexible workspaces are interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them as a consumer. And they're going, do you fit into their environment? Do you fit into the overall community they're trying to build? It's not just about whether you like the space and you want to be a part of it, but do you fit in and are you part of it? Do you help further the cause and the purpose and the mission that that particular brand has? I mean, I think that's huge. It makes a lot of sense. And I feel like just being able to apply that thought process from early on, you know, if you're not already doing it, obviously, the sooner you do, the better. Uh, and then not to get like too specific in this conversation, but just so I get a, a sense of it, how, you know, let's say we've got a company you work, you're working with, and you've identified what that thing is, you've identified that niche that you're going after one end of the market or the other or one particular audience. Do you then set them up to be able to figure out how to reach and engage and, and really attract and retain that market? Or is that something that you kind of try to set them up as best as you can and then they, they you know, you pass them off to their own marketing teams, that kind of thing? Yeah, no, again, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it is if, if, we're, if we understand what their brand is and what they're trying to achieve, we should be looking for a property type that falls into that brand. I mean, I'll give you a great example. I'm currently working with a client that has multiple locations and they're in an urban setting in more of a warehouse industrial type of, of facility. 
and they're doing great. They're 100% occupied in both those locations, and they're struggling to find other opportunities. And they've got a real estate expert that's trying to put them in high-rise office buildings. And I've been steering them away from that and going, well, your brand is based around this industrial urban feel. If you move that brand into a high-rise office building, you're no longer that brand. And that's, that's going to, to a certain extent, bastardize the work that you've done. If you decide that you want to go into that high-rise, then you create another brand and have it be a sister company. Because Again, going back to hospitality, when I walk in the West End Hotel, regardless of where it is across the country, it smells the same, the music's being played is the same, the uniforms behind uh, the counter of the staff are the same, their services are the same, and so that's what people should expect. If they're going to walk into each of your locations, they may be a certain different vibe or feel, but it shouldn't be in a completely different product type. Because then you, you start missing out and watering down what you've worked so hard to build. The uh, example of the uh, high rise is a, is a really good one because depending on who you're selling to, that could either be a deal breaker that you must have it or a deal breaker that you must not. You know, so you better know before you sign that lease which one is the appropriate one for you. Right. Again, and even even using that property uh, type as an example is, it's funny, as I have different conversations with different operators, there's operators that have to be on the first floor of a high rise because they want that immediate introduction and that immediate hospitality. As you walk in the lobby, that's the first thing you see. And maybe they've got a small space on the first floor and then they, there's an internal staircase to the second um, and third if they're large enough. But they, they want to be on those first couple floors because that's where they feel people have the best presence and access into it. And then you talk to a different operator and they're going, I have no desire to be on the first floor. I want to be on the top floor so I have the best views. And that's what my selling point is. And so, again, it just goes back to these brands and operators understanding who and what they're trying to achieve. Seems like a, it's something that could take a lot of time to work through, but it's it seems, uh, frankly, pretty necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if you miss again, going back to location, location, location is the first thing we learned in the real estate industry. Is if you miss the the location that you need to be at, one of two things is going to happen. I position you by taking that location or the consumer you're trying to go after is gonna miss you all together or pass you up because it's not the type of venue or property type that they want. Yeah, we don't want either, the, the, either of those things to happen for sure. No, people are, are spending millions of dollars to open these spaces up. And so it just, just one simple miss like that could be the difference between success and failure. So this is an interesting thing because uh, we had talked about uh, previous to starting the recording that your company, Fronteras, is sponsoring Camp Juicy, which is coming up in Denver. Uh, and can you tell me a little bit about that and about the kind of the, the importance of companies getting educated? Obviously, you do this, but you're supporting Juicy in, in educating companies as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, number one, Juicy is 
is essential to people getting out there and understanding what other competitions doing and meeting with the vendors that offer them the services that allow for them to be successful. Uh, but most importantly, the Camp Juicy portion is, is for people that are wanting to get into space or having issues uh, in taking their, their space to the next level. Because unfortunately, you and I both know that there's people that, that pulled the trigger and opened up spaces without really knowing what they were getting into. Um, and so Camp Juicy allows for people to go and learn from people that have been in this industry and are professionals and, uh, and are really out there. What I love about this industry is everyone's out there to help each other. Because if, the, if we all s- succeed as an industry, then it keeps the momentum going in a positive direction. When people start opening spaces and failing or struggling, then it causes landlords and capital sources to, to take a second look, step back and go, okay, is there viability to this? And so ultimately what Camp Juicy allows is it's, it gives to go out and learn from experts that can help people not make the mistakes that maybe some of us that have been in this industry for a while did make. And so that's ultimately what I love about Camp Juicy and what it does. And I mean, I'm being completely honest, I've sat at Camp Juicy the last few years and talked probably about as many people out of getting in the industry as I have continuing into the industry. Because again, this industry is not for everybody. And it's something that you have to understand what you're getting into. And it's not, it's not just the, the, the greatest, coolest thing that, that people read about and see. And so ultimately, uh, I think Camp Juicy helps people kind of vet through that process and understand if this is an industry that's for them and why it is and get, get connected with, with industry experts like yourself and others that, that can help them along the way. I think it's an important point that the collective success of the industry is important for each individual center's success as well in terms of the narrative and the securing the financing and the, the perception of it, that if we have a lot of spaces failing and closing, that's bad for everybody. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm glad that you're going to be a part of the the story and, and you're going to be there, you know, <laughs> talking to people, talking people out of it, talking people into it. And I think that's going to be That'll be good for everybody involved. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. Great. Well, I'm excited to see you there and to keep these conversations going. And I have to say, it's just been super valuable for me to get a perspective on how you're able to help uh, companies. And that'll make it easier for me to know when it's time to refer someone to you. So I'm glad we got to do this for our sake. Absolutely. And I, I'm just grateful that, that there's people like you that are out there continually educating along the way and bringing in experts in the field to, to continue fueling the excitement and, and the positive trajectory in which this industry is headed. So I appreciate you for that. If somebody wants to learn more about your services, uh, potentially reach out, how do they find you? So one of two things, I mean, obviously you, you can go to my website, which is fronterasre.com, or you can always reach out and Call me on my cell phone. I pretty much respond more than I probably should. Uh, so that's 214-566-9546. Or certainly you can go onto the Juicy page and I know they're going to have some different links for the sponsors and, and profiles and stuff. So you can always reach out that way. 
That sounds wonderful. Giovanni, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tony. All right. So that was my conversation with Giovanni Pallavicini. You'll be seeing him in Denver alongside myself and some incredible, incredible people when Juicy arrives in the beautiful state of Colorado, April 15th to 17th. If you've not yet gotten your ticket, grab it now. Hop on over to Denver for this event. It is an amazing event. It is an amazing city. It's an amazing state. I used to live right around there, and I can tell you it is a great, great place to visit. And there's going to be some amazing folks. You're going to learn so much. So I can't recommend Juicy enough. And it's not just because I do this podcast. I legitimately do it because I love Juicy so much. So come on over, join us for Juicy. Head over to usa.juicy.co, usa.gcuc.co to find out more about that. And check out all the other Juicy events happening at juicy.co. And then we've also got membership at Juicy now. Uh, So if you go to IM, like Instant Messenger, im.juicy.co, you'll learn about the new membership program, which I'm very excited about and hoping to do some work with the Juicy crew on. So check that out at im.juicy.co. I hope to see you in Denver. I hope to hear more from you about what you think of this podcast on the internet. So feel free to reach out to me. I'm Tony B. Good on Twitter, Tony B. G-O-O-D-E. And... Hope to see you in Denver at an upcoming conference. And in the meantime, keep being awesome.